Well, I'd like to extend a Christian greeting to each one of you who's here this evening. As our brother has opened the service, he did a well job introducing the topic, and it's, it's an interesting topic. It's one I think that each one of us uh, is interested in because it involves us and it involves our lifestyles. Uh, as we think about this topic, it's one that is shared a, uh, a lot about in the, the scriptures, and we will not near touch all the scriptures that are shared, but my desire as we share together tonight is simply to whet your appetite, to give you the, the yearning, the desire to want to know more, and you would seek what God would really have for you on this subject of financial uh, principles or our lifestyle according to how we handle our finances. As we look at biblical financial principles, it is, as our brother said, it is God's word that we're looking at tonight. Financial has to do with wealth. It has to do with money. Maybe it has to do with our status uh, in life, where we find ourselves. You know, uh, financial status ranges from the poor to the wealthy. Or as one lady told me one time, she said, uh, talking about me, she said, Claire, she said, you're filthy rich. (laughs) I wasn't feeling that way at all. And I'm not sure Uh, Why she said that other than she was a missionary, she didn't have much, she depended on uh, many people to support her, and she had been working for us for just a a short time, and something had been commented as to whether or not we could afford it, or I could afford it, and uh, she left me know what she thought about me. Um, As I was thinking about the the, uh, vast uh, dimensions, you might say, from poor to to rich, my mind was drawn to the parable of the, the uh, man Lazarus and the poor man, Lazarus and the rich man. And we realize you can be poor in many ways, not only in finances, but Lazarus was poor in his health. He was poor with his wealth. The rich man had both, so to speak. And uh, it was signified by things that were said about him. Uh, he wore purple and fine linen. That was just an indication of the status, uh, wealthy status. He fared sumptuously every day. And so as we were thinking about, as I was thinking about that, I had to think, you know, in our day and age, maybe we'd be considered uh, up there with the rich man as we think about maybe clothing and food and, and so forth. Well, principles simply are underlying facts that determine results. And God's word is full of those underlying facts that determine the results, principles, how they work. You know, as I was thinking about God's wisdom that is shared, they work. It works when it's applied correctly. Uh, Principles are also defined as fundamental laws, basic things which determine an outcome. And so uh, if you care to tonight, turn to Proverbs 30 for just a short time. I want to start with two verses out of Proverbs 30. And uh, as we're thinking about that, I would like for us to think about the fact that these words are from Agar, the son of Jacob, as it says in the beginning there of, of Proverbs 30. But he is he's not known, not much is said about him if you look him up. But he's known to be one who collected a number of Proverbs that are written in our scriptures today and these are some of his proverbs and I if I would have a theme verse tonight for this subject I would find it here in uh, verses 8 and 9 and I would like to read them to you and then I'd like if we could read them together 
Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Simply read like this. It says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. Now let's read those verses together. I would like you to get this because I would like you to ponder these verses as we share tonight. I think it is a, a good mindset for us to, to simply have. So let's begin at verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. We can see there's two sides to this subject. We can be that poor, that life is not enjoyable, or we can be that wealthy, maybe we become uh, to the point we feel we don't need God. And uh, I think Agar here realized the whole thing of balance in this subject. Uh, it's, it's important that we realize that we're not taking the name of God in vain, uh, simply because we would do things which would not please him, or we are not self-sufficient. Uh, we rely on, on God. So as I was, was thinking about these verses, we might ask the question tonight, why would we look at a subject like this? Facts that concern uh, finances from God's word. It's because simply we as man or mankind can become overcome with a desire of ownership and we simply can lose out in our spiritual lives. Yet we do need finances to support our lives. And scripture tells us what we should be content with. Food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And if I were to allow you to speak into that, you might say, and transportation. And uh, what does it take to keep us content? But uh, simply, we need, we need some balance because scripture tells us very, very plainly that the worship of mammon is a foe to the kingdom advancement. And we know that we can't have more than one God. You can't serve God and wealth or mammon. And so we do realize that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. That comes out of Matthew 6. And we could, we could look at scripture and we could see many probably who have erred uh, with the whole idea of treasure, uh, our heart not being at the right place. But Genesis 13, 2, we would have the example of Lot. Lot was a man who the Bible tells us pitched his tent towards Sodom. And that simply means that uh, he, he worked his way maybe from a, a godly setting into an ungodly setting. Uh, if we know the story, and I think we do, Abraham and Lot were living together. They had flocks, they had herds, and the land couldn't contain them or sustain them. And finally, what was happening is Lot's servants and Abraham's servants were fighting to get the best grazing ground for the cattle and the herds. And uh, Abraham saw what was happening, and he simply said to Lot, he said, this is not good. We're brethren. We shouldn't be fighting amongst ourselves. And so he, he simply said, Lot, 
He said, to solve this problem, we need to separate. He said, you choose where you want to go. You look to the left, you look to the right. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. And so Lot saw the well-watered plains, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. That's the direction he went. And so we see Lot had a materialistic scale of values. And uh, as he made his choice, he didn't count the cost. And I'd like to encourage us as we live our lives and we make our choices, let's look farther than the dollar. Let's, let's look farther than our bank account. Let's look at where it will take us and our families. Lot did not do that. And so even though uh, many people would say he did achieve success financially, um, we know he had property, he had popularity, he had positions of prominence, but eternity still declares him a failure. As we think of his family, we think of his wife. You know, he missed out on peace and contentment in this life of walking with God. There was a lot of turmoil. Uh, the, the situation he found himself in it vexed his righteous soul, the scripture tells us. And uh, we also see that he missed out in creating good relationships with his, his own children, his son-in-laws. When the angels came and said, it's time to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he seemed as one who, who mocked from his own son-in-laws. Uh, we also see the, the sad experience that he had of, of seeing the loss of his material gain and the loss of his wife as she turned into a pillar of salt. And then last of all, we see that he uh, failed to lay up his treasures in heaven. He put profit before purity. It's a real sad story, but it was all based uh, on uh, material prosperity. So some questions I'd like for us to consider before we look at some principles tonight is, what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We came into this world with nothing. We're going to leave with nothing. So what does it profit us to have a lot of wealth here in this world? What would a man give in exchange for his soul is some things we could think about as we share tonight. And Luke 12 tells us a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You know, it's not the man at the end of life who has the most toys that wins. It's not. And so we need to think about some of those things. As I think about some biblical financial principles tonight, I'm going to share some really basic things with you. But I would like for us to see a progression, and I'd like for us to, to ponder that. I'm not going to share with you tonight on uh, how to put your money into a savings account and watch it grow and, and you become wealthy. I, I'm not going to share those kind of things, but I'm going to share practical things tonight that come out of God's word. And uh, I think the first one I'm going to share with you, I think most of us understand and, and we are practicing that. We as Mennonites are good in that. But if we would uh, think about the first principle, if you want wealth, we simply need to work. Back in Genesis we have the account where Adam and Eve sinned and they were put out of the Garden of Eden. But do we remember what God told Adam? He simply said there, he says, if you want to eat, you're going to have to work. The man that was made out of the dirt now needs to till the dirt. And it's going to be by the sweat of his brow. And so we see hard work. We see toil. You know, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. And uh, as we go on in Scripture and we think about work, 
we are told that we have six days out of a week to work. Um, some people think that we should work all six of those days. Some people think that's just the opportunity of when you can work. But it's been interesting in my short life. Uh, the trend is we want to make bigger paychecks with less days at work. Uh, so we can, we can ponder that. But if, if you want finances, in Adam and Eve's time, they didn't exchange monetary things. But to get ahead, to, to, to provide for yourself, we needed to, they needed to start by, by working. Proverbs 24 says, The sluggard, or the lazy person, will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest, and he shall have, or, and have nothing. Did you ever hear anyone say it's too cold to work today? It's too hot to work today? We're just, we're not going out. There are some extremes, and for the welfare of our health, we need to take some of those things into consideration. But the lazy person uh, uses that excuse way too often. As we think about uh, Paul, he uh, addresses to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. He uh, shares on the issue of busybodies, the ones that were too lazy to work, so to speak. And he simply says, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. It's a basic principle. And uh, I think if that could be practiced in our society a lot more, uh, it, would, it would do everybody uh, a lot of good. Uh, we, we should not have free handouts. Proverbs 19.15 says, Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep, an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Proverbs 26.13 says, the sloth will say there's a lion in the street. There's, there's a lot of excuses made why we shouldn't work. But simply, you know, the folding of the hands and the bowing of the head, uh, a little more sleep, a little more slumber, uh, brings us to, to poverty. Proverbs 10, verse 4 says, Though the hand of the diligent maketh rich, and he that gathereth in the summer is a wise son. And so principle number one, if we want to, attain, we want to, to get somewhere in life, we want finances, we need to simply work for them. Principle number two, uh, building on that, as we think about the Christian and the non-Christian, the Christian person has a desire to provide. Principle number two, uh, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 says, but if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and he's worse than the unbeliever. And so we see that we have uh, a different responsibility from the, the, the person that's not a Christian. The Christian has a desire to provide. And I see this was written in the context of taking care of your families, taking care of the widows. And uh, simply, we have a desire to support and to take care of them. I also found it interesting in Genesis 30, verse 30, Jacob was... Uh, Talking to his father-in-law, Laban, Jacob was the young man who worked seven years for his wife, and he got the wrong sister, and then he worked again. So he found himself under Laban's household for quite a while. But uh, as his wives had children and he started to, to have a family there, he simply came to, to Laban and he said, it is now time for me to provide for my own household. And I think we need to realize as we take on the responsibilities 
uh, of growing up. We want that privilege. It's a, it's a blessing. We don't want to be a leech uh, to our neighbors, to the state, uh, to the brotherhood. Now, I realize there's times when we have situations where we need help, and it's blessed to give and it's blessed to receive. And we don't want to rob the people of blessings that would like to help you. But simply, I, I'm saying that as we look at principles, the godly, the Christian man has a desire to provide and take care of his own family. The third principle that we'd like to think about tonight is simply the fact that riches are not forever. And so good management and diligence are very important. And... Uh, Maybe it's just because of my age and I look at uh, people today that seem to, to make money easy and they spend money fast. Uh, I feel like this is a subject which should be addressed and, and talked about, the whole fact of good management. But you know, if we're not diligent, Scripture simply tells us that, uh, that our riches can make themselves wings and they fly away as an eagle towards the heaven. Proverbs 23 verse 5 uh, simply tells us that. But as I was thinking about this thing of diligence, Proverbs also 27 verse 23 tells us that we need to know the state of our flocks. We need to know the, the welfare of how things are working. Uh, if we don't look well to our herds, uh, we can soon find ourselves losing money rather than, than making money. And so we need to be diligent, good management practices. As I was uh, thinking about that, it was interesting to think about the Old Testament times. Again, we had men who were shepherds. They took their flocks out in the, the, the fields and they watched them. But there was a reason they moved from place to place. When you overgraze an area, uh, you have your sheep, your goats feeding and grazing amongst uh, the land that they were on the day before, and we soon find them picking up parasites from their own dung and things like that. And so there's a, the reason why they would move about. Uh, we, in our setting today, most people who have goats or sheep, uh, a lot of times just for pets, have them in a pen and they're on the same area day after day. And so we, we, we find problems with parasites and worms and so forth. And a goat especially is an animal that's very touchy. Once his stomach is, is out of balance and he's sick, uh, they, the saying is a sick goat is a dead goat. And there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever raised goats, but my neighbor man had a number of goats and he shared that with me. And, uh, the best thing you can do is try to get their stomach back in order when uh, they're sick. But they soon will, will die if they're not taken care of. And so it's very important to have good management and diligence. My sons raised mini pigs. And uh, they were uh, just like a lot of these exotic animals are. They have their ups and downs. And right now we're in the downs. Not too many people want mini pigs. I guess everybody got, got them that wanted them. But uh, simply as he has these pigs and they're running together, maybe 20 pigs in a pen, I'll come out in the morning sometimes and oh, nest the little piggies. She has eight or nine of them and it looks nice. And uh, I'll come out a day later and there will only be six or 
five of them, and a day later, there's two or three. After a while, they're gone. And it's like, what happened to them? Well, there wasn't good management. Nobody took that mother and her little pigs out of the pen, and the other ones will get laid on and eaten by the other pigs, and they're soon gone. We got to be uh, diligent. We got to have good management. You know that saying, easy come, easy go, is, is often very true as we think about finances. When we don't realize the labor that was put in to create the finances, we can spend it very easily. Luke 16, verse 1, we have the account of the prodigal son. He said, Dad, he says, give me my share. And he went off. And what does the scripture tell us that he did? He wasted his substance with riotous living. He wasn't diligent. He didn't have good management practices. Uh, we call it very poor stewardship. And so we find him where? Feeding pigs, wishing he could eat the food that the pigs had. It was because he was not diligent. As I think about that, we're living in a time of prosperity. And we spend a lot of money for things that are uh, leaving us with nothing. And I think young men, I don't know how many of you enjoy fireworks and Tannerite, but uh, a couple of the young guys at the mill were talking about what they did over the weekend here, the New Year's weekend, and they put off a, a lot of Tannerite and fireworks and, and so forth to like, celebrate the New Year coming in. But um, to me, uh, it just feels like you're not getting your dollar value back. When it goes boom, it's all over. And there it is. There went your $20, dollars $200, whatever it was. Seems quite, quite wasteful. I, sh I shared that in a message one time before. I believe it was around July 4th. And I had a lady come to me and she said, Claire, is it really a waste? If that's really what you enjoy and that's what you you want, you want a boom and a bang for whatever you spent? I said, yes, it's still a waste. <laughs> Anyhow, but we could talk about a lot of other things in our lives where there's lots of wealth that's spent for short-lived pleasure. And uh, it, it's, in my mind, poor financial uh, decisions. We go out to eat in these fancy restaurants and we spend a lot of money for a plate of food. Uh, and I think we ought to think about that. Good management would tell us that when our plate of food could have fed our whole family at home, and all we got was one plate of food, that we're being cheated. Uh, I'm just sharing from my heart. I was, I was in a seafood restaurant three weeks ago, I believe it was. Uh, our family went there for a Christmas dinner. And, uh, of course, I wanted the experience of seafood. But when my $45 plate was served and I went home, I felt like uh, it wasn't the best stewardship. It wasn't the best stewardship. I have a worker who has a lady friend, and she wanted to go out for supper uh, the other evening. And she picked a place and the restaurant. They went down into Philly somewhere where it's really fancy, I guess. To get in the parking lot, it was $70 for valet parking. It was $70 to get your car to come back out. So it was $140 just to have your car parked. The meal for the two of them was over $140 also. 
The evening was very expensive. They didn't stop there with those prices for that evening. But I simply said to my worker, I said, it seems, it seems like a lot of money for a short-lived pleasure. The fourth principle we want to look at tonight is simply as we think about finances, whose are they? They're actually God's. That means we're a steward. And it's required of a steward that he'd be found faithful. So we, we realize we need to have good management, but we need to be faithful in our stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4.2 uh, simply says, it is required of a steward that he be found faithful. You know, we are not owners of our possessions, of our wealth. Psalms 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalms 50 verse 10 says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills is mine. Haggai 2, 8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. This is God talking. And so we're managers for God, and we're called to be faithful. It's a, a, a principle that is given to us here in God's word. Faithful means loyal to the owner. Use it according to God's desire. We have certain parables uh, told in scripture of how a man would go away and he would leave talents in his servant's hands. And one of those accounts simply says, Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That is what we're looking for as the Lord comes back and he talks to us about how we handled our finances. He wants us to simply be faithful and we want to enter into the joy of the Lord because we were loyal to him. Joseph is a prime example in scripture of a, a man that was a faithful steward. Everywhere he went, he was accepted and liked and put into a position of stewardship. As a matter of fact, Joseph himself said to Potiphar's wife when she was enticing him, he says, all that is in the house is under my hand. Potiphar put it into my hands. He said, except you. You know, it shows us what kind of steward that he was. He was trusted. As a steward or manager for God, how does God expect us to use his finances? Proverbs 3.9 simply says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So that's how we are supposed to, to use the finances that God has called us. So the principle four was we are simply required to be a faithful steward. Principle five is going to share, I'm going to share with you what we should do first and foremost with the finances that God has given to us. And that simply is give the Lord his share. That's principle number five. That's called tithing. Give the Lord his share. The Old Testament talks quite a bit about tithing in Malachi. 3 verse 10, it simply tells, Malachi is telling the people that they robbed God. And the question is asked, when? When did we rob God? And Malachi says it simply had to do with your tithes and your offerings. You know, as we think about a tithe, the tithe is 10%. And that's what was required in the Old Testament times. And it still is it's a good guideline for us today as we think about giving to God. And there's many testimonials that are given. We might say, well, can we make it on 90% instead of 100%? Many testimonials are given. The 90% goes much farther 
when we give it to God and we manage like God wants us to than what the 100% would on our own. So, Scripture simply tells us, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands so he may have to give to him that needeth. You know, as we look at that verse, it could mean stealing from God, it could mean stealing from others, but we are called to be responsible so that we can have and we can give. We not only give in tithes, but we give in offerings, principle number six. And an offering is over and above a tithe. And you say, really? You mean we should give more than 10%? Well, Scripture simply tells us that every man should give as he is able. That comes out of Deuteronomy 16, 17. Matthew 6, 3 also tells us as we give, we don't do it with a show, but we, we do it in secret. We don't let the left hand know what the right hand giveth. You know, there were people that were talked about in Scripture that blew the trumpet and they jingled the coins, but that's not how we give. We give secretly to God, and we give freely. Matthew 10, verse 8 says, freely you have received, freely give. That's when you help somebody else. You give. You don't expect it to, to come back. You give without strings attached. Romans 12, verse 8 says, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And you say, how do you give simply? Just simply give. Simply give. You know, there's many people that need a tax credit. They need some kind of proof. But Scripture says, give simply. Just simply give. It's not that hard. Uh, Romans 12, uh, verse 8. That's the verse that says that we give with simplicity. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says we do it regularly. Uh, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. And so we realize that it's something that should become a part of our lifestyle. We give regularly. We put in the offering plate. We lay money aside to help with the brotherhood. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says we give cheerfully. We don't give grudgingly or of necessity but we give cheerfully because God loves a cheerful giver. In the morning when I wake up, I usually go down in the family room and I sit on the sofa and I have a little devotional. And my wife, if she wants me to see something, she'll often lay some letters or mail or something there that I'm supposed to see. And uh, this certain morning there was an invitation laying there on the, on the sofa for me to look at. It was an invitation to give to Union Valley uh, Christian School. And when I looked at that, I'll tell you what went through my mind. It's like, oh boy, here we go again. Somebody else wants money. And I'm thinking, we were committed to Gaiman's Mennonite School for 30-some years. We send our children there, and we support them. And now we have children that send their children to Shalom, and we support them. And we have another school. It's like, and I got to thinking, Claire, God wants a cheerful giver. And when I realized what Union Valley School is doing for my grandchildren, I have a son and daughter-in-law that moved up there this summer, and they started sending their children to this school. And when I got to thinking about what all they're doing for my children, I said, shame on me. I need to change my attitude. I need to change my thoughts. 
I need to realize I need to help cheerfully. And so we need to think about that as we, we give. Give cheerfully. The seventh principle that I'd like to share with you tonight is the principle of compassion. And you say compassion? A principle for financial uh, advice or ways. But you know, if you don't have compassion, you'll never extend mercy. You know, as I thought about this whole principle, we need to have compassion so we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Compassion is simply a conscience of others' distress and a desire to alleviate it. We realize they have a hardship, and out of a heart of compassion, we want to help them. You know, if you look at the account in Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37, we have the story of the Good Samaritan. And there's a little song that says, From Jerusalem to Jericho, along the lonely road, a traveler who was railed upon and robbed of all his load, they beat him and they stripped him and they left him there for dead. Who was it then that came along and bathed his aching head? Then who? Tell me who? Tell me who was his neighbor kind and true? We know that story, don't we? The priest, the Levite, and the Good Samaritan. And Jesus says to that rich young ruler, he says, Who was the neighbor to that man? You know what the answer was? It was he that showed mercy to him. You know, if we're going to show mercy, if we're going to be the neighbor, we need a heart of compassion. A number of years ago, this goes back into the early 80s, we were married and uh, we had a snowstorm. Believe it or not, young guys, it was one that put our roads out of, uh, out of commission. The truckers couldn't go. The interstates were shut down. And as that took place, my cousin found himself in in town at the Turkey Hill buying something that he needed. And he met a truck driver that was stranded. And the truck driver simply told him. He said, you know, he said, I left home yesterday expecting to make a day and a half trip. And he said, here I am. I'm stuck for the whole weekend. And he said, I didn't bring any money with me. I was planning to be back. He said, here I am. And my cousin said, now this was back in the 80s when money wasn't as easy to get as it is today. He opened his wallet and he took out a $20 bill. $20 went a lot farther back then than it does today. He said, I gave him a $20 bill. I said, really? I said, why'd you give him so much? This was his answer. He said, he needed it and I could do without it. Do we think like that in our society, in our world today? Here's a man who needs it, and I can do without it. You know, Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he giveth will he pay him again. Acts 20, verse 35 says, It's more blessed to give than to receive. Principle number seven was compassion. Principle number eight is assurance. I didn't say insurance, I said assurance. Scripture gives us a lot to bank on as we think about handling our finances wisely. And assurance is to make sure or certain, where insurance is seeking a coverage where one party protects another against loss, but it's always at somebody's expense. 
You know, as I think about assurance, assurance is a sure way to be certain. But it simply goes back to showing pity to the poor, lending unto the Lord. Psalms 118.8 says, It's better to put trust in the Lord than to have confidence in man. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. You know, Scripture simply tells us that the place to put our trust is in God. That's where the assurance comes from. And God will take care of us. As we simply help those who are in need, he will remember that and he will, he will help us. Psalms 91 is an interesting psalm. It's simply titled, The Happy State of the Godly. And the whole way down through this psalm, we have statements that read like this. God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is my fortress. God is my deliverer. God is the one who sends ministering angels for protection. Do we believe that kind of stuff? As we think about biblical financial principles, do we believe in the principle that God can take care of us? Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. Proverbs 1, 33. Whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear or evil. There's a testimony that's given by David in Psalms 37. He simply says in verse 25, he says, I was young. And he says, now I'm old. And I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. As I said in my opening, I'd like to whet your appetites on some of these principles. I'd really like for you to dig in and see what God's word has to say and see where you stand on some of these principles that are given. You know, I can have a conviction or a belief in the assurance of God taking care of me, but it's something that each one of us needs to work at on our own. The ninth principle I'd like to talk about tonight for just a short time is debt. And uh, debt simply has to do with finances that we owe. Uh, we are simply called to pay our bills and, and to be responsible. Luke 20, verse 25, we have the scripture where it says we're to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Romans 13, 8, Paul simply writes there and he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. Proverbs eleven fifteen says, He that hateth shortyship is sure. What does that mean? He who hateth debt, he who hateth to sign off for someone else simply is, is sure. Proverbs twenty two twenty six says, Be not one of them that strike hands, or of one of them that uh, are sureties for debts. Simply uh, don't go promising to take care of somebody else's financial problems or burdens without sufficient uh, supplies for yourself. The principle of helping the poor is simply given to us, and it's interesting to me that we, as we think of someone who's in debt, someone who's in need, we loan to them, especially of the brotherhood, of those of the same faith. Uh, it's simply supposed to be done without usury. 
or without interest. Is that the way we think today? But it's a principle that's given here in Scripture. And uh, as we look at the fact that God is the owner of everything, it's a lot easier to uh, accept principles like that. Uh, as we think about debt, let's remember, when we do borrow, the borrower is a servant to the lender. You now are that man's servant until he is, he is paid back. And so, again, that is, again, a principle uh, that is given that's not shared uh, on in its entirety, but I think we need to uh, continue to think about some of these things. The tenth principle that I'd like for us to think about tonight is contentment. Contentment is simply to limit oneself in requirements and desires. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain. That is a basic principle that is given to us in Scripture. I read a book some time ago, I think it was entitled The Power of Enough. And uh, it was a good book for me to, to read simply because I needed to come to the point in understanding my life that I need to, I need to figure out when is enough enough. My father tells a story when he was a, a lad. My grandfather would make homemade ice cream. And our house is a double house. It's always had the, what we call the Dotty house in the front half. And my dad's grandmother would have lived in the front half. And so grandpa, when he made ice cream, would say to my dad, go over and ask Mammy if she wants some homemade ice cream. And Mammy would always say, yes, I'll take a teaspoonful. She had learned when enough was enough. And she had enough just by getting a teaspoonful. And my dad, like me, couldn't understand that. When you're asking if you want, give me homemade ice cream, I'll take a plateful. <laughs> I'll take a big cone. But she said, a teaspoonful. First Timothy 6, 7, we realize we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And so it's something really for us to think about whether we're, whether we're eating or whether we're driving a vehicle. Uh, what is good enough for us? What, is, what, what can we be content with? The power of enough. The 11th and last principle that I'd like to share with you tonight is the principle of being perfect. The principle of being perfect. Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, verse 21. And he says, if you will be perfect, he says, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and, they shall, and thou shalt have treasures in heaven, and come and follow me. One of the saddest things that's recorded in scripture is this man's response. He went, he went away sorrowful. He went away sorrowful because he had many possessions and he couldn't part with them. And then Jesus goes on and he says, he says how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus' teachings on finances is simply distrib distribution and not accumulation. It's distribution. And you say, well, we can't give everything away. You're right. We started out that to be responsible, we need to work, we need to provide. But as we get to a point in life where we have excess, Jesus teaches distribution. 
Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus simply says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay for yourselves treasures up in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt and thieves do not break through and steal. When we have excess from what we need, not from what we want, we should be blessing others. We simply should. It was interesting talking to uh, Leon tonight, uh, and he simply said somebody gave him the book on the doctrine of non-accumulation, and I read that book also, and it's a, it's a really interesting book, and it is somewhat radical, but Jesus' teachings are radical. He causes us to follow him, and his example simply was not to accumulate. And so he, he simply says, Roger Hertzler in that book, he simply says, and this was very helpful to me as he talked about this whole thing of not accumulation. He said, you divide what you have into two categories. You have the tool, the tool category, which is very necessary for you to live. But you also have the investment category. Anything that you want to call an investment should be done for God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And uh, that would change our lifestyles drastically. That would change our lifestyles drastically if we would follow that. And so I'm going to just encourage you to, to look at Jesus' teachings on finance, finances and think about the principle of being perfect. Sell what you have, give to the poor, come and follow me. I was, I was preaching in a church the day before Christmas in our rotation schedule. Uh, there in the Living Waters District. And as I was shaking hands with a man at the back of the auditorium, he simply said to me, he made a confession. He said, Claire, he said, I bought a bag of birdseed this week, and I went home, and I felt so bad. Really? He said, yeah. He said, there's a lot of poor people starving in third world countries that I could have given that money to. And you know, as I pondered that, I had to think, you know, as we look into God's word, his word will speak to us, and we'll get feelings like that because of mismanagement. God calls us to be faithful stewards, and as we look at the principles that are given in the Bible, it's not about us, but it's about God, it's about others. May the Lord bless you. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Our Father. Our God in heaven, we pause at this time again, acknowledging your goodness to us. You have given us your greatest gift, your son Jesus, to be our savior. You have extended grace and mercy to us, and we thank you for that. And then, Lord, as we think about the physical blessings we have, and as we think about finances and so forth, again, we're a blessed people. And uh, we realize that we've been taught to work, and we've been taught to save, and so forth. But as we look in your word, we realize that you also take us a couple steps farther. And I just ask, Lord, that you would uh, give us a desire to, to read, to understand, and to simply follow you and uh, reap the rewards of being blessed because of doing that. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Does the song leader lead us in a song?